Hello, my name is Kathy Moyer, and I'm Vice President of Content and Community at Skipta. Today, we'll be discussing obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, specifically the HCM Explorer trial that led to the FDA approval of the first cardiac myosin inhibitor, Mavicamptin. Dr. Lynn Cronin, a practicing cardiologist in Holland, Michigan, has graciously agreed to join this Q&A, during which we'll discuss the appropriate patient types for Mavicamptin, how to initiate and manage treatment, and real-world efficacy and safety data from the initial trial of this novel cardiac myosin inhibitor. Dr. Cronin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, Dr. Cronin, before we get into the details of, you know, with whom we should be trying, trialing this tr product and, you know, how to initiate and manage it, can you just share what you see as what are some of the potential benefits of Mavicamptin versus other options to treat HCM? Right. So we've had, you know, the standard handful of drugs for treating HCM for decades, really, beta blockers, your calcium channel blockers, in some cases, uh, disopyramide, and all of those are meant to reduce LV contractility and hopefully relieve symptoms. Uh, the limitations of those being, you know, tolerability, heart rate, uh, blood pressure lowering, and the fact that they're not really uh, meant to treat the disease at hand, the, the cool thing about this new drug is that it is really um, a designer drug, um, one of many that's being developed. Um, we're used to hearing uh, targeted drug therapy and cancer treatment, but for cardiac uh, diseases, we don't really have until now uh, specific Cardi uh, drugs targeted to the disease process itself. The closest I can come to come to with a drug that cardiologists use all the time is renaclean for smoking, where it's kind of targeted to the nicotine receptor in the brain. This drug, mavicamptin, is targeted uh, to the myosin um, molecule, and and it's really sort of a, a laser focused on treating the problem that actually exists with this disease. Excellent. Thank you so much. So in your opinion, what are the types of patients that we should trial Mavicampton in? Well, the study that, that was done, the largest study um, that, that, that we're focusing on, uh, used patients that are pretty typical for our outpatient uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy patients, the ones that are coming into our clinic, not necessarily in the hospital, not necessarily your first diagnosis uh, in a young person, but the, the person who's been diagnosed, uh, probably genetic variant. Most of the uh, patients in this trial have genetic um, markers for the disease and symptomatic uh, class two to three symptoms uh, were the people studied in this trial. And that pretty much uh, encompasses most of the patients that are going to be seeing their cardiologist, you know, one, two, three times a year for management of their symptoms, dyspnea, uh, effort intolerance, uh, chest pains, things like that. So this new drug will likely be more targeted in helping the actual um, symptoms of the condition. Is, is that right. what you're saying? Yeah, okay. the, the focus of the study was on improving uh, performance uh, on cardiopulmonary exercise testing, the, the VO2 max that we all focus on with heart failure patients, 
um, and a decrease in their or increase in their functional class. Um, so subjective things that you can measure when you talk to the patient, but also um, a decrease in their uh, LVOT gradients, both at rest and after exercise, which were pretty substantial with the drug compared to the placebo group. Okay, thank you. So now, um, now that we see there are potential benefits of using this product, um, what would your recommendations be for the types of patients to actually use it in? Right. So this is a, a drug that that is set up with some fairly uh, not restrictive, but it's got some rules that we need to follow. We need to make sure that these patients are going to be compliant, um, that they're going to follow the rules in terms of follow up because it's a novel drug and kind of uh, breaking new ground with a drug like this, the, the follow-up requirements for periodic echoes, um, for checkups um, is, is not strict, but it's, it's going to require that patients commit to that. The fact that this drug has some interactions and some um, cytochrome P450 inducing uh, mechanisms means that it, we need to be careful what other drugs uh, patients are taking. And they have uh, even the pharmacies that provide this drug for patients are going to have to be trained um, just to set up all those layers of safety monitoring. Uh, there's a few other, you know, little twists like birth control and things like that. No, nothing, you know, too terribly difficult, but it's going to require commitment on the part of the patient to enroll in this program. And that, that sort of self-selects patients who usually do pretty well anyway. Um, as far as uh, comorbidities, there aren't a lot of, of um, exclusions based on kidney function or diabetes or, or age or anything like that. But it, it does require a little bit of a commitment from the patient on follow-up. So we're looking for patients who maybe are not optimally controlled, still symptomatic, right. and we suspect will be compliant and adherent. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And, in, you know, in papers that, that are usually self-selects a group out that, that yep. usually even the placebo group does pretty well. Um, but the differences in the study are, you know, I think beyond that. So patients, then, okay. patients with disease are also already coming to see you fairly frequently because they're not feeling well and, and they've got a complicated disease and they've talked to lots of subspecialists. And so they're, they're sort of used to that pretty much. Right. And then in terms of initiating and managing them once they're started on Mavicentin, um, mm -hmm. what are your recommendations? Like, sh should the beta blockers, the calcium channel blockers, other medications, should those dosages be adjusted? That's that's left up to the clinician. Uh, the majority of the people in the study were on beta blockers or uh, non-dihydropyridin calcium blockers. Um, this study... Um, did not enroll people who were taking desipiramide, um, and that that would be uh, something that's probably not recommended because of the possibility of reducing uh, contractility and ejection fraction, which is one of the endpoints of the study and one of the things that we monitor for. But it's still left up to the clinician to manage their beta blocker therapy and their calcium channel blocker therapy. Uh, so not real restrictive in terms of okay. those drugs uh, that they can be used at your discretion. And then what else needs to be monitored? EKGs, labs? Uh, they did labs. They did EKGs. They did monitoring, you know, uh, ambulatory ECG monitoring on, on these patients in this study. And there were no real 
issues. They, they monitored drug levels for the sake of the study. But what's required um, in the real world is periodic echoes um, every several weeks at first. And then that's probably going to evolve into less frequent, but they're looking at the ejection fraction. And that's kind of it, is if, if clinical follow-up and the follow-up echoes um, are what's required to continue receiving the drug. And then um, any watch outs regarding proarrhythmia, renal, hepatic concerns? There weren't any in the studies so far. The, the, the side effects were very, very minimal. There were no patients withdrawn uh, permanently because of adverse effects of the drug. They do watch for the ejection fraction very carefully. And if the ejection fraction decreases, um, that requires a protocol driven reduction of the dose or a pause in the drug. But all of those patients um, in the study that experienced that, it was a minority, it rebounded after the drug was stopped or the dose decreased. So there's, there, wasn't, there weren't any adverse effects that caused people to be permanently taken off the drug in the studies. Okay. And I know we already touched upon um, some of the drug interactions. Yeah, those are, those are you know, pretty complicated. We're all used to the inducers uh, and inhibitors uh, of these hepatic enzymes. And we need, it's, it's the same, it's the same, you know, group of meds that we need to be vigilant for. And uh, with a new drug like this, that, you know, the vigilance needs to be high, but that's, the pharmacists are on board with that and they can be very helpful. There aren't going to be uh, pharmacies dispensing this drug that haven't gone through the training program so that we can watch out. And most of us, uh, the list is very long of meds that could potentially affect, but most of them don't. And, and the Real offenders were all used to, you know, your tricyclics and your antifungals and some of your antibiotics. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's nothing real new uh, stuff that we're pretty much used to. OK, great. And then um, what real world evidence or safety can we expect with Mavicampton? Well, the, the benefits that, that were seen in the patients in the trial, uh, the primary endpoint was an improvement in functional class. Uh, and uh, the primary endpoint was an improvement in their uh, VO2 max. And they also wanted to see an improvement in New York Heart Association functional class at at least one level. And there was a very statistically significant um, increase or hitting those endpoints in the study group versus the placebo group. Um, when you sift out uh, for beta blocker therapy and other things, it, it was pretty a dramatic difference. So what, what the drug is, is going to give us is an improvement in functional class for most people. That's the subjective. They're going to feel better. Their heart failure questionnaires were improved. Their performance on the treadmill was improved with the uh, cardiopulmonary exercise testing. And so subjectively and objectively, they did well. Uh, the Gradients on echo improved pretty dramatically as well. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so we're seeing subjective and objective improvements in uh, more than half of patients uh, on one level, and, and a, a, a nearly a third had improvements on all parameters. So and a tolerable, you know, once daily drug, pretty easy to take, pretty light on side effects, doesn't lower the heart rate, doesn't lower the blood pressure, which is what you get into with, you know, trying to heap on the beta blockers is you run into fatigue and low heart rates and low blood pressure, and this doesn't appear to cause anything in that category. And then what about LVEF uh, drops? So that's, since it's a myosin inhibitor, um, 
you're literally asking the, the heart to be less contractile. You're turning off some of the myosin actin uh, cross-links and, and thereby, <clears throat> pardon me, looking to get the heart to not be as contract, contract as vigorously. We don't want that to manifest as an actual drop in the ejection fraction, which is, is possible. Um, and it's seen occasionally in these in these uh, in this drug, and so the, that's built into the study protocols where that's assessed over and over and over again every several weeks. And if there is a drop in the ejection fraction, then they they reduce or stop the drug. So it is theoretically possible. It does need to be watched for. They express it in the in the literature as heart failure, but I'm, I'm drawing a distinction there. You don't always have heart failure to see a drop in the ejection fraction. But even a drop in the ejection fraction without symptoms, they're reducing or stopping the drug temporarily and letting that rebound before they continue therapy. So the, the, the very mechanism by which the drug works, we don't want to see it going to an extreme and, and sending people down the road where LV function is actually depressed. Sure. So that criteria for starting the drug is an ejection fraction of 55% or higher. So you're not going to use this in a drug in a patient with a burned out hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and a low ejection fraction. That's just not a suitable patient for the drug right now. That makes sense. Okay, great. And then um, can you help us understand, like, how would you set and manage expectations with a patient if you were going to start them on Mavicampton? Yeah, I'm thinking of most of my patients, you know, in the outpatient setting, they've been tried on a handful of drugs already. They're familiar with the diagnosis. They, you know, they've had talk about family screening and defibrillators and exercise, and, and they've already been tried on a number of drugs. I, I don't see this being the first drug mm -hmm. uh, at this point that you would try, but these people are pretty symptomatic, like I say, and they, they, they take their meds and they do better, but they're often still limited either by the disease or by the drugs. So I would present it to them as a, as a drug that has a chance of having them feel quite a bit better, improving their stamina, improving their capacity. And, you know, we talk about the echo findings that that matters more to me than it does to them. So I basically saying this drug might make you feel better and is reasonably safe. It needs to be watched. Are you willing to do that? We have a fair chance of having you improve the way you feel. Uh, some of the future studies with this drug, they're, they're actually stacking the drug up against uh, more sick patients, people who are thinking about having septal ablation or surgery and seeing how it, uh, seeing how it fares in that group. There's a smaller study that was done on that um, and showing some promising results too. But for the, the real world patients that most clinical cardiologists like me, I'm not a heart failure specialist, I'm not a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy specialist, are seeing is, is a patient in front of you who's, you know, 60 years old, has had this disease for 10 years, that you've been managing them as best you can. You got to be careful with the meds. Here's something that's coming along that's brand new, focused on their disease, and, and, and studies that at least made a tremendous number of the treatment patients feel better. Okay. Thank you so much. And you touched about um, the surgery, which I was going to ask you about. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks. Okay.